So guys, take your Bibles now and open up to Ruth chapter three. So fun. You guys having fun yet? I just got a photo sent to me from Manidero, Mexico. And in Manidero, Mexico, they're having a church service right now. And it's a beautiful 70 degrees. They're suffering. Man, tank tops and flip flops. Going to the beach later. Anyway, Pastor Daniel Fox sent the photo. And Brett McCarthy, our own Brett, is there. They left on Tuesday, drove 18 hours nonstop. They don't stop. They got down there and they're now doing the mudding and the texture and the sheetrock for the bunkhouse at the orphanage there. We've partnered with them. They'll be back on this Friday. So such an encouraging note that they're continuing the work down there. And it's so fun here at the Foursquare Church to continue the work here, renovating this building, making this comfortable for us, but a blessing also for Seth McRae and the staff here at the Foursquare Church. We love this church. We want to continue to care for it. After the services, we stack up the chairs. I don't know what we're going to do today because of the ongoing services. But if you see some trash or see something wrong, pick it up. We're trying to be good hosts here and bless them. And it reminded me of something biblical. Remember we went through the book of Joshua? And in the book of Joshua, all of the territories were divvied up to the people of the promised land and the Gadites and the Manassehites and the Reubenites. They got land on the east side of the Jordan and they struck a deal with Momo. They said, we don't really want to go in. We kind of like it here. And I believe it was a compromise nonetheless, but they stayed there. And when they crossed over the Jordan River, Joshua said, hey, you three, the Gadites and the Manassehites and the Reubenites, don't stay here and build your place. Come over and help us secure our place. And when you're done, then go back. It kind of reminded me of what God is doing in our lives. We've got the hill. We're underway. By the way, this Friday, big day, we're going to be submitting to the city of Newport all of our MEPs, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, all of the things in order to get our building permits for South Beach Church so we can keep going. That deserves a clap. We've got enough money in the bank to move forward with those applications and permit fees and with all the contracts with the builders. We've got enough money to pull all that off. We still need about one or two million dollars. So the offering box is right in the back there. So you know who you are, you know. I believe God's going to provide for all of it though, don't you? I have to. I have no other choice. No other choice but to keep my eyes on Jesus and say he's going to do what he's going to do. And he's going to do it for his glory. He's going to do it with his people. And it's such a big deal that without him, we can't, we can't do this. But with him, we can do all things. But it's also such an important deal that God says, I'm not going to do it without you guys. I actually want to use you in the development of the hill and in the expansion of the kingdom of God in Newport, Oregon. But before I do that, Reubenites, Gadites, and Manassites, I want to work something in you in the next year at the Foursquare Church. I want you guys to bless that church and bless other churches and bless the Newport Christian Church with the school and the Presbyterian Church and all the churches. I just believe the Lord is doing so many things. Hey, this year, as we build and as we pray and as we give and as we sacrifice in that way, let's also stay super open to what God is doing in our hearts. Pray for the staff here. We're all just kind of stunned at this point, looking around, whoa, is this happening? It's all moving very quickly. But I believe the Lord is working in us something greater, even as we partner together with other churches. Hey, let's say a quick prayer and ask God to bless us with really quick listening today because we have to finish chapter four. Told you guys this last week, you guys weren't able to finish chapter four. I don't know what you were doing, but we're gonna try again this week. I'm already predicting we might not get there. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. We honor you. Oh God, thank you for all you've already done. Not just in our lives. Lord, we're very anthropocentric. We're very much into ourselves. And yet we want to be Christocentric, Lord, where we consider you and what you've done and what you're doing. And so as we look into your word, Lord, 
as we reflect upon Ruth and her story, Boaz and your faithfulness. May we, Lord, settle into our lives and say, whoa, if he did that then, then I can trust him to do what I need now. And may we be worshipers of spirit and the truth, Lord. May your word have its way in our hearts. Minister to us. I pray for special graces right now, Lord, as a teacher today, that I would honor you, Lord, and feed your sheep well, and that we would respond to your spirit. We pray all these prayers, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Hey, check this out. Do you guys remember the Super Bowl? I don't either. Let's focus on verse six. Wasn't that so long ago? Does that feel like three weeks ago to you too? I just had to get that off my chest. I don't know what happened. It's been a long week. Look at verse six, chapter three. This is where we left off last week. It says, so she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. Stop right there, eyes up here. Ruth has been instructed by Naomi what to do. They've discovered that there's a family member in line that could possibly redeem them. He's a kinsman redeemer, a goel. He's near enough in the family and he has a Levitical, listen, obligation that if the family has found themselves in financial debt or disarray, that he can, if willing, step in and redeem his family members. Now there is a portion in Leviticus that says if he doesn't want to do this, if he's not into this or is unable to do this, he can have an out. And what will happen in that moment is he has to take his shoe off, Leviticus 26, and hand it to the gal, Ruth, and she gets to take the shoe and then spit in his face. Kind of just, it, you know, signifying that he's a heel in the deal, you know, doesn't want to do it. He's not walking in that path and that's an option for him. Now, Ruth has been spoken this by Naomi. She knows there's a risk here, but she takes her mother-in-law's words. And in verse six, we saw that she went down to the threshing floor and did whatever she was instructed to do. Last week, we told this, and we called this DTNRT, do the next right thing and trust the process. She was a doer of the word, not a hearer only. She heard what God's word said and said, well, that's kind of risky going to the threshing floor as a Moabitess refugee, finding out where Boaz is going to be sleeping and then lying down at his feet. And when he awakes and asks me what I'm doing there to say to him what she says, which is to take me under your wing. All of this, by the way, is a picture, New Testament picture of when Jesus says, anybody who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. There's no way to heaven except through me. But you got to humble yourself and put yourself behind or below the feet of Jesus in this way. And you and I who are Christians, man, we took a risk in doing that, didn't we? We had to believe what our pastor, what our mom or our dad told us, and we believed the Bible. And I would encourage you who are continuing your journey with Jesus right now, if Jesus said it, believe it, and that'll settle it. Continue just to do what he says to do. Where did all this happen? At the threshing floor, the place of preparation, the place of separation, the place, the place of presentation. And I reminded us last week that if you feel like you're being thrashed, if you feel like you're being separated, if you feel like work's being done in you to be useful, it is. This is exactly what's going on in your heart and in my heart. The Lord has us in seasons of ups and downs and ins and out in order to prepare us to be useful for him. Isn't that encouraging? Man, I'm 22 years old. You guys gotta laugh harder than that. 45 years old. And I feel like I've been available to the Lord a lot of those years. But I also feel that I'm just getting started. That the Lord has more to do. That any threshing and all the thrashing and all the preparation in the past, and even right now, ooh, is for something even greater. For something even more. 
but I got to be a doer of the word. I got to trust. Well, we see all this exemplified in Ruthie here. Look at verse seven. After Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Oh man, he's a good dude. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and she lay down just as she was uh, instructed to do. Look at verse eight. And now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and he turned himself and there was a woman lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? And so she answered, remember, she's been given instruction. I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative. And then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. Stop right there. Isaiah, this is like a scene from a movie. Man, Ruth, he wakes. You think she was sleeping at all or just waiting for him to wake up? How did he wake up at midnight? Do you think she tickled his feet just a little bit? Like, man, we got to get this thing going. Just so you guys know, none of this was immoral. None of this was weird. It wasn't PG-13. It was all legit. This is how a kinsman redeemer would be re- approached. So she did exactly what God had put on her heart to do. And he wakes up, who are you? And she said, I am Ruth. Would you take me under your wing? Would you extend your blanket towards me? because you're a kinsman redeemer, a near relative. Oh, Boaz knows what's going on. He sees her heart. He knows the word. You know what? This actually reminds me of Crystal and I's first date just a little bit. Really, it does. Our first date was such a special time. It was January 24th, 2001. And it was right after a Wednesday night service. We'd been going to the same Wednesday night church and she served in a different church on Sunday. And on Wednesday night, January 24th, I had just gotten home from Andahuaylas, Peru. I was on a missionary trip there in the Andes Mountains about two days earlier. And the Lord had revealed to me what he was doing in my heart. And I said to Crystal, can we go out and have some pie at Geppetto's on January 24th, right after church? And I remember when we got to the Geppetto's and we ordered some pie and I had long hair and a big beard and big beads and a beanie. I looked like Osama bin Laden, only white, you know, and <laughs> just a whole mess. And I began to then confess my heart towards her. I said, Crystal, I've been praying for you for four months that it would be okay to like you. And I do like you, but I don't want to like you unless God wants me to like you. And I keep praying. And every time I pray to God, if I can like you, he just smiles. He doesn't say yes or no. He just smiles. And it's really frustrating me because I don't want to like you unless he'll let me like you. And I don't want to date you unless I'm going to marry you. This is date number one. And I sat there and I took a step back, if you could, and put my heart on the table and it was bleeding out, you know. And then Crystal looked at me and didn't miss a beat. She was 19 years old. She said, well, I've been praying for you for seven months. She was evidently the more spiritual one. (laughs) Like Ruth here, I've been praying for you for seven months and I don't want to date you or like you either unless it's from the Lord. And I don't want to date you unless I'm going to marry you. That was date number one. And so we prayed and said, Lord, would you confirm this? Lord, is this your will? And here we have Ruth and Boaz, both walking in God's will, both being spiritual, submitted to God and his word and the direction of the peers around them. Man, look at verse 10. He says, blessed are you for you've been more kind at the end than you were at the beginning. This again was speaking of her heritage and commitment to Naomi. And Boaz sees this in her. You're choosing me? You could have chose a rich guy or a poor guy or a young guy. You could have chosen somebody else. Now, at this point, we all look at Boaz. And we're like, why would she not choose Boaz? He's like the Tom Cruise in the Old Testament, right? And that is this, 
Everyone should choose Boaz. He's rich. He's good looking. Hey, the Lord bless you. You know, this guy's legit. But he notices and he notes, you could have chose anybody, Ruth. You're young still, but you chose me. I say that to say this. It makes sense to us that she would choose Boaz. Man, is he such a hero? But did you know that when you choose the Lord, when you respond to his goodness, that all of heaven looks at you and says, whoa, you're choosing Jesus? You're responding to his spirit, to his word, to his creation. And you're submitting your life to him saying, would you take your wing? Whoa. And to you and me who know Jesus, this is no big thing because of course we love Jesus. But did you know there are millions and millions and millions and millions of people right now who choose something else? Somebody young, somebody old, somebody rich, somebody poor, somebody different than Jesus. If you've chosen Jesus right now, it's because he first touched you. He shined his light and you opened up your eyes. You heard the gospel preached. Something moved on your life and you responded to Jesus. Don't ever take that for granted. To be a believer, to be a Christian is the highest gift you'll ever receive. That you're walking with Jesus. Ruth and Boaz here, they're both coming closer to one another. Look at verse 11. And now my daughter, do not fear. Oh, he speaks encouragement to her. I will do for you all that you request for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. This is a declaration of her character. Literally in the Hebrew, this could be translated that you're a woman worthy of marrying or you're a woman worthy of pursuing because he had some work to do. And he looks at her, he says, you're worth it, Ruth. I'm gonna do what I gotta do. Hey, fear not, I'm gonna figure this out. Did you know that if you're a believer here, if you've given your life to Jesus, the Bible calls you the bride of Christ. And he says, oh, there's some work to do though. Fear not, I'm gonna do it, you're worth it. I'm gonna save you, I'm gonna sanctify you, I'm gonna work in you that which is not yet done. Look at verse 12, he says, now it's true that I am a close relative, dun, dun, dun. However, there's a relative closer than I. We'll talk about that in the next chapter. Stay this, again, this reminds me of our first date. I can't go into details, but a little bit there too. Look at verse 13. Stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, well, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. Three things he tells her in these three verses. Do not fear, stay this night and lie down. Now he tells her the truth. There's another redeemer. Did you know? And we'll get there in just a minute. Boaz was indeed a near kinsman. That was, he was related to Elimelech. They were related. But now evidently, Naomi and Ruth, neither one of them knew that there was actually a closer relative. They'd been gone for 10 years. Drought had swept the land. Famine, death, and all kinds of chaos. They didn't know who was alive and who was left. Boaz is like, oh man, I feel really honored that you would choose me. But there is one who came before me. There's another redeemer. There's another way. We have to go through, listen, the law and do things right. And for those of you who are Bible students and tracking right now, the typology and the picture and the shadow here, this other redeemer, this closer relative, the one that was first is indeed the law, a picture of the law, that the law was given before Christ that you and I who wanna be near to God, we actually can, we don't need Jesus. All we have to do is fulfill the law perfectly. Pull the audience, how y'all doing? Anybody, anybody? Oh man, the law is limited. The law actually can't save you or save, the law's perfect. 
what God has revealed to us in his scriptures of his holiness, his character, of his virtue. He says, this is, if you want to hang out with me, you got to make all this happen. Like, oh, wow. What if I can't make that happen? The, the first way. Well, then you got to go to the Redeemer, the one who with a price that he pays for you will save you. Well, we see that implied here. We see the shadows, but he gives her this encouragement and this assurance. We studied this last week that he accepted her and he assured her, lie down, stay the night, do not fear. Look at verse 14. So she laid at his feet until morning and she arose before anyone could recognize her. And then he said, hey, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. He's protecting her reputation. By the way, the Lord wants to protect your reputation as well. You see, you belong to him. When he tells you and when he instructs me to do certain things and not to do other things, there's big implications for the body of Christ, for the bride of God, that we would find ourselves living differently. Sometimes we find ourselves tempted to blend in and just kind of kick it with the boys and do what the world's doing. And God says, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Early in the morning, before anybody accuses you of something immoral, go home and get home before rumors start to fly. He's protecting her just like God wants to protect his bride. Look at verse 15. It says, also, he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. And then she went into the city. This is going to make sense in verse 17. Before she leaves, he's like, oh, before you go, he's going to, in verse 17, give specific instructions to her mother-in-law, who was Jewish. Boaz is Jewish. Naomi's Jewish. Ruth's just trying to get home before the sun comes up. He says, hey, before you go home, bring your shawl over here. And he gives her six ephahs of barley. This would be a bunch of barley. We'll find out why in just a minute, but look at verse 18. No, no, verse 16. It says, then she came to her mother-in-law and she said, is that you, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her. I've got verse 16 underlined and highlighted in pink and a heart next to it. Because as soon as Ruth showed up, her mother-in-law says, is that you, my daughter? Now, either Naomi had her glasses off and was blind as a bat and had no idea who was there, or it was still dark, or listen, or Naomi, when she saw Ruthie Ruth show up, Ruthie Ruth was different. Ruthie Ruth showed up with a pep in her step and she was a different gal. And when Naomi saw her, she's like, whoa, what happened to you? Six ephahs of barley. Now, just go there with me a little bit. This is Ruth 3.16. I like 3.16. There's a lot of good 3.16 verses. There's John 3.16. There's Timothy 3.16. There's Ruth 3.16. Verses, I believe, that speak of the gospel and the power and, and what God does in our lives. And here Ruth shows up and it's like her mom can't even recognize her because everything has changed for her in just one night with Boaz. Matter of fact, I've got a heart here. It says 316. It reminds me of my friend, Sarah Yardley, who's over here. You guys know Sarah Yardley. Sarah Yardley also was touched by Jesus miraculously in Lincoln County Jail, had her life changed from the uttermost to the guttermost. And when she became a born again believer, like all of us and many of us, it was visibly different on the outside because of what God had done on the inside. And I believe that's what God wants to evidence to the people around us when they see you at Fred Myers, when they see you at the gym, when they see you at school, after you've been spending time with Boaz, our Jesus. Whoa, what's up with you? Oh man, I've just been hanging with the king. I've been hanging with my guy. I've been hanging with Jesus. This might mean you need to course correct in some of the way you live your life or present yourself to people at the gym or work. Maybe some people you work with or live with don't even know you're a believer because it looks like you got baptized in pickle juice. 
You know what I'm saying? You show up to the call, here comes him, here they are again. Or maybe they can tell something's different. It's the spirit inside of you. I believe this is something that we should strive for. Lord, make me different. Lord, give me the aroma of Christ. Lord, give me the preparation. She showed up with six ephahs of, they were poor people. They didn't have anything going for them and everything changed. You were a poor person. You had nothing going for you until Jesus came and it changed everything and then gave you co-access to his spiritual account. Now you're a co-heir with him. What? Man, even though prices of bread are higher than they've ever been, you're still the richest person in Newport. She's different. Look at verse 17. I think there's an implication here. And she said, these six ephahs, she's not giving testimony, of barley he gave me. For he said to me, quote, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And then Naomi said, ooh, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Stop right there, eyes up here. She gets back with six ephahs of barley. And she's like, oh yeah, by the way, mom, he made me take these six ephahs of barley and he told me to tell you he didn't want me to go home empty-handed to my mother-in-law. I believe this was code word from Boaz to Naomi. That when she was sent home with the number six, see the number six in the Old Testament is very important. In the New Testament, we know it's the number of man. But in the Old Testament, the number six represents the number of work. How many days did God work until he completed creation? And he didn't stop. Listen, he didn't rest. He didn't quit. He didn't take a break until he'd finished what he'd finished, until it was done. And I believe this was a message from Boaz to Naomi, saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish the work. I'm gonna do what I gotta do for this gal. And when Naomi heard that and saw this amount of barley, I believe she said, oh, you know what? And then she spoke this word to Ruth, sit still. This man will not quit until he's finished what he has to do. What was Ruth's part next? What does Ruth have to do? She just has to sit still and be still and know that he is God. He will be glorified in the nation, Psalm 46, 10. And just like our Boaz looks at you and looks at me and he gives to us his blessing, the down payment that is himself, the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer here this morning, did you know that you have the Holy Spirit resting inside of you? You've been touched. You're different. Did you know that in addition to that, there's still work to be done? How many of you guys know that's why you're breathing right now? There's still work to be done. Did you know that you can rest? You can sit still. You can actually be still and know that God will not stop working on your behalf. This is such good news if you're like, because I freak out all the time. Man, I'm a high control worry war. I'm a freak, right? All these things are going on. And the Lord's like, hey, I'm going to finish the work I began and you do believe me? Without me, Luke, you can't. And yes, for sure, without you, I won't, but you can trust me. How many of you guys need to do that daily? Be still and know that he is gone. God, same Psalm 46, 10. Trust in him, rest in him. Let's finish the rest of the story. Look at verse one of chapter four. It says, now Boaz went up to the gate and he sat down the gate in those Old Testament days, first century as well, would be like city hall today, kind of Starbucks area while the people were hanging out. So he goes right to the middle of town at the gate. It's the gate of the town. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, hey, come aside, friend, and sit down here. And so he came aside and he sat down. Man, 
And then he took 10 men of the elders of the city. He said, sit down here as well. And so they sat down. 10, again, in the Old Testament speaks of the law, speaks of judgment, it speaks of order. It speaks of the right way to do things. So Boaz goes to the gate and happenstancely sees the other redeemer is there. Sit down, let's talk. Grabs 10 guys because again, this man is a picture of the law, the first redeemer, that which can save you and redeem me as long as we don't step out of bounds, as long as we do everything we need to do. Well, look at verse four. Nope, verse three. And then he said to the close relative, hey, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab and sold a piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you or let you know, saying, hey, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. And if you will redeem it, then redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know for there is no one but you to redeem it. And I am next after you. And then he said, I will redeem it. Stop right there, eyes up here. Whoa. I wonder if Boaz knew this was coming. I wonder if Boaz anticipated, because this was a normal business transaction. This redeemer, this guy first in line, no name mentioned, the law is there. And in these days, in order to keep families from losing their lands and losing their homes perpetually, there was built in ways to get the family inheritance back. Namely, a brother or a cousin would come along to a widow and say, you know, I'm gonna buy back this land. It's now gonna be my land, which is our land. I can go ahead and make my portfolio a little bigger. It's just a business business deal. And so when Boaz went to this guy and said, this is the deal, Elimelech's dead and Naomi's back and her land is now on the market. You're the first one to either take it or leave it. Do you want to take it? He said, sure, I'll take it. Who doesn't want more land? Boaz must have smiled at this point. <clears throat> and he said, there's more. Verse five. Well, then Boaz says, hey, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, Oh, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Stop right there, eyes up here. Evidently, when Elimelech died, Ruth was still married to either Malon or Chilion. And the land then went into one of Malon or Chilion's names. And now it was Ruth's land. It was no longer Naomi's land. It was hers now. And then Naomi's daughter-in-law, her husband, Malon or Chilion, died. And so now the land was in Ruth's name. It no longer was in Naomi alone. And so the kinsman redeemer tells this nearer redeemer, hey, when you get the land, you also get a lady. Which is so interesting. Because the law doesn't really care for people. The law only cares for policies. The law only cares for rules. It's just kind of arbitrary. It's right and wrong. It's black and white. And it's either in or it's out. There's no real justification or way around it. The law brought death. The law was good. It was right, but nobody could attain it. There's no mercy. There's no relationship. And along comes this type, this picture, where instead of the law just taking the land, the law would have to also inheritate, listen, inheritate, and inherit people and families and relationships. Do you know that the law is unable to do that? It's not the way it actually works. The law is limited. This is where greater than the law comes, which is our liberator, Jesus Christ, our redeemer. And so this man knowing that, oh, if I get the land back, that's what the law says. I also get a lady and I have to have kids with her and make a family. I can't do that. I'm in, I already have things going on. He actually says it this way. Look at verse six. 
And the close relative said, I can't redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. In other words, I've got kids. I've got things going right now. I can't have a kid with Ruth and mess up this whole deal. I'm unable to do this. He then says, you redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Side note, check this out. Isn't it interesting? This guy was concerned with his inheritance, his reputation, his legacy. Do you know what his name is? Neither do I. Neither do I. Nobody does. Do you know what the other guy's name is? Starts with B and rhymes with Boaz. Boaz. You guys know Boaz. Everyone knows Boaz. Boaz is famous in Israel. He's famous in the world. This guy, though, wouldn't do it. Why? In order to perpetuate his name and protect himself. It didn't work. And sometimes when we try and keep the law, for keeping the law's sake, it extinguishes relationships. It quelches love. The law is good. It can be confusing to process these two. But greater than law is mercy and grace and relationship and forgiveness and forbearance. A greater than law. And Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. You and I have not fulfilled the law. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And he fulfilled it perfectly and became our Boaz, our kinsman redeemer, who when the law was fulfilled, this guy said, I can't fulfill the law. It's going to mess everything up. Jesus said, I will not only fulfill the law, but then I will take the lady, the bride. I'll take her. I'll take you and I'll take me. But she's a Moabite. She's a refugee. She's been cursed. She's been messed up. I know. That's why the law can't help her, but I can help her. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And this guy says, you redeemer, I cannot look at verse seven. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was confirmation in Israel. This does not also tell us that there was some spitting in the face that also happened during this time, like Leviticus tells us. I don't think that any spitting in the face happened here. They kind of knew, okay, you're giving up. So you're going to give me your, you're not going to walk in this. And you know, she's giving you the boot or however you want to look into that. And we're not doing this. And so that was made official, verse eight. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders of all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and all that was Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. And the Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and like Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah or Bethlehem and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Stop right there, eyes up here. Whoa. A public declaration of Boaz's love for Ruth. You guys are witnesses. Every one of you know what's going on. He's removed his shoe and I'm going all in with this gal, the Moabitess. And I'm redeeming her and Malon and Chilion and Elimelech and Naomi. And he makes this public declaration. Did you know that the Lord has made that same public declaration over you? That you are his and he is yours. And you are his beloved. You are his bride. And he loves you. And he goes on record 
in the city gates. I will do this for her. And these guys respond with blessings, prophetical. This is crazy. I don't even know what they were thinking. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Boaz does this kind of normal thing. I'm going to redeem Naomi and Elimelech. It's going to come with Ruth, the Moabitess and all this. And they say, she's going to be just like Rachel and Leah. You're going to be famous. Like what is going on here? Most of you who are Bible students know that this marriage, this redemption, a picture of what Jesus would do for you and for me speaks more of just in this region, but also speaks of what God was doing in your hearts and in my heart as God redeems us. Ruth and Boaz would have a kid and that kid's name would be, let's read about it actually. We're running out of time. So I'm gonna have Paul come up here. He's gonna lead us because there's an 11 a.m. service coming in hot and they're flying in. They want your parking spot. So someone go get Paul. Someone find Paul. I don't know where he's at. Look at verse, verse 13. It says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative that he may be famous in Israel and may he be to you a restorer of life. This is the baby and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took him, took the child and laid him on her bosom and she became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name saying there is a son born to Naomi and they called his name Obed. And he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Salmon. And Salmon begot Boaz. Remember Salmon? Remember Salmon's wife? Rahab? This lineage of redemption in God's kingdom. And from Nahab and Abinadab, Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot King David. This story speaks of so much purpose and value. Did you know that the story started with three funerals in chapter one? Three funerals, some compromise, and a lot of regret. But it ended with a wedding. It ended with a bride. It ended with a baby. This might be the best thing you hear all day. It might be the greatest hope you're holding on to. No matter what you've been through, no matter how many tears you've cried, no matter what you've lost, did you know that God writes the last chapter? He writes the last chapter. You ever read a book before that had some frustrating twists and turns in it? Man, I can't believe they just killed that character. Wow, you know, can't believe that just happened. I'm not going to finish this stupid book and you shut it. Most of you who've gotten that far, you keep reading. You keep reading. You get to the end. How's it going to resolve? What's going to happen? We began today's service with a scene from Revelation chapter 4 where John is revealed into heaven. He sees what's really going on. And God encourages him and says, hey, man, I know those first couple chapters were tough in your life. But I'm doing something new. I'm doing something eternal. Would you guys all stand with me? Five things that Ruth did. Number one, she prepared herself. Remember when she prepared herself? Washed with water, anointed with oil, a change of clothes. And then she listened. She listened to her mother-in-law. She listened to Boaz. But she didn't just listen. 
She also obeyed. And she didn't just obey, but she also received. She went with six ephahs of barley. This was the down payment. If you're a Christian here this morning, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to finish the work. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you believe that today? And the fifth thing that Ruth did is she waited. This is not a passive waiting. The Bible tells us to wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Strengthen ourselves. Wait on the Lord. To wait on the Lord means to be into, aware of, available for. You ever been to a restaurant and you had a really good waiter? You never ran out of water? You had their attention. God wants you to prepare yourself this morning. I want you to prepare yourself this week. I'm so excited about the week of prayer and fasting. I just need to prepare myself. More time in God's word. Oh, Lord, wash me with your water. Wash me. Lord, just get that. Oh, all of it, Lord, all of it. Lord, anoint me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, a fresh anointing. To change the outward appearance, to change the inward appearance, the garments, Lord, do all these things. Listen and obey. Receive and wait. Father, in Jesus' name, would you bless us as we prepare to leave. Now we're just going to sing a song of praise, a song of thanksgiving. Lord, a song, Lord, of expectation, Jesus. We repent. Maybe you're here this morning and you just need to start right now. The week of prayer and fasting, you're going to come back tonight or maybe you're unavailable. And today's the day you say, I just repent. Jesus, take my life right where it's at. Lead me, Lord, in the way that you have chosen. Lord, you take over right now. I need you to redeem me, to forgive me, to fill me. If that's you right now and you need to make that prayer today, today's the day where you repent and give it all over to Jesus for the first time or for the third time, whatever the case is. Would you just raise up your hand right now between you and the Lord and say, yes, Lord, I want to go all in. I want to prepare myself this week. I need more of you for such a time as this. I don't know how much longer I have, Lord. I don't want to waste any of it. Raise your hand right now if you want to do that, but you're simply responding to the power of God. You need him to fill you with the barley. You need him to fill your shawl. You need him to do the work. If you know that it's him who does the work, raise up your hands right now and join these as we surrender to you, Jesus. Do the work in our hearts, Lord. Forgive us of our sins. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to wait on you like a good waiter, Lord, like somebody who's interested in you and available to you. For Forgive us, Lord, even now. Lord, may we leave and may people see us today and say, whoa, is that you? Wow, you've changed. And may there be a 316 moment in our lives as well. We love you, Jesus. Receive our praises now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, let's worship the Lord together. If you need prayer, come find me on the left. Let's sing together before we dismiss.